Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. I, I feel like I say this every time we've been having these, these uh, podcasts lately, but it's been a while since, since our last one. Um, and I do, I do blame you, unfortunately, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I yeah. will say you've had, you've had good, good reason. Um, so since our last podcast, you had my fifth grandchild. Yes, we had a baby. Yes. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank and you. what's her name? Molly. Molly Rose. Rose. Yep. Nice. And so Molly Rose is doing well. She is doing well. We crammed a lot into December. It's really yeah. been, it's been crazy <laughs> since really November because November starts like Christmas around here, you know, mm-hmm. Christmas mm-hmm. and then I wanted to make sure everything was as ready as it could be for Christmas and the baby. Um, so then we had her um, almost three weeks early on December 10th on Brandon's birthday. That's and cool. then we had Christmas and then I had ankle surgery and because <laughs> everyone has ankle surgery just a couple of weeks after they have a baby. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I was nervous because I know that you're at increased risk of blood clots postpartum. So the three months, really six weeks or so postpartum, you're at the highest risk of blood clots just because your body has prepped to try to minimize the risk of like, like hemorrhaging during, during childbirth. Um, and, I forget the statistic, but you're at quite increased risk of blood clots. Now, blood clots are not common, so the so the actual you know incidence is not high, but you're still at increased risk. And then if you add a orthopedic surgery where you're somewhat immobilized, that increases your risk of blood clots. So I was like, is this dumb? But my OB and the orthopedic doc both you know felt like it was not an unreasonable thing to do because I wanted to get it done before a deductible was met because it would be completely covered if I did it before the end of the calendar year. Um, and I'm already down a little bit, you know, with having a new baby. So I figured why not just add Bite the all. bullet, make yeah. it a really challenging, yeah. really month. good December. Yeah. <laughs> On yeah. top of that. So how was, so to, um, Remind me if you, I don't think we ever got into the specifics, but what exactly was wrong with your ankle and, and what was the, the specifics of the surgery? So I had developed um, a lot of ankle pain um, kind of on the outside of the ankle with running as I gradually increased some mileage. Um, I changed my running shoes, so it altered my stride, I think, a little bit, but this would have probably happened either way. Um, but anyways, I did, um, physical therapy for a while. We tried some joint injections, um, and it just wasn't, wasn't working. And it got to the point where I wasn't able to even do like a brisk walk for very long without a lot of ankle pain. Ouch. So it's, there's, there was like nerve impingement kind of in that, um, there's like a soft spot you can feel on your ankle, um, on that outside and in there I had nerves that were getting kind of crunched essentially by a bone um and it just needed to be I think that they ended up shaving down the bone and taking some of those nerves out so you don't feel the pain anymore um with those kind of strides and 
he said he also did, um, he noticed that my tendon, so your tendons attach bone to muscle. So mm-hmm. there's a tendon from the um, big toe. Um, it's a long tendon that wraps up behind the the inside part of your ankle up to one of your calf muscles. And he said that he hadn't seen an area that was so bulky and like hypertrophied before, which is impressive because he's a foot and ankle doctor. So that's all that he does. Um, So he said he debulked that. I don't really even exactly know what that means. All I know (laughs) is that everything is bruised and hurts. (laughs) And you're in a boot. Well, I'm not. I got. I go back on the third. I really haven't been wearing the boot. Um, Against so, doctor's orders. Well, yes and no. I talked to him in pre-op because I was like, I need to know. Um, can I mess this up? Like, but because he's like, you can put weight on it as you're able to. And I was like, is there something I can do to mess this up? He goes, you didn't break anything. We didn't fix a fracture. We didn't, you know, replace something. We didn't put in any hardware. Like, you can't mess up what we did. So it feels better to not be in the boot. The boot compresses on the incisions and causes way more pain. So I've just been, and they said the more you can do range of motion, the better. So this wasn't like a, um, gotcha. had, to re, had to, had to replace or reposition bones or like if yeah. you have a, if you have a fracture, you have to be in a boot because that fracture has to heal, right, you know? Right. And you can't so, put weight on it. And all yeah, I think this boot is more for comfort. Um, and, and getting around but i get around better without it so we'll see what he says on my fall oh i fall appointment you might be like you're you're messing it up and whatever yeah Yeah. no i but i asked i was like before i go under anesthesia here and whatever i just is there something i can do to mess up the surgery and he said no so probably if once you start running again that's what that that that's what could do it that you got to take it easy on the on the return to yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not thinking about any anytime soon. No, so. no ten mile jaunts. So no. Cool. Well, let's let's get on with the with the real subject of this. This is this podcast isn't all about you, you know. So yeah. No, the rest of everything else is boring. The the uh, the so the 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 subject is 2023 in review, uh, and we're doing this on the last day of the year, appropriately enough. So there were a bunch of, as there always are. Um, you know, uh, medical advances, big medical stories and whatever. So we're going to, we're going to almost do a like, like a lightning round um, because there, there's kind of a lot of them and, and you only have so much time before you have to get back to Molly Rose and the rest right. of your family. Yeah. Um, so the, the first one um, I think, um, and the, maybe the, the, the one that captured the most media attention was this new generation of drugs that um, produce significant weight loss. They first appeared on the market as um, diabetes treatments. And then um, they were they were seeing that a side effect of these drugs was significant weight loss. And and so some of the the diabetes drugs were 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 then kind of being repurposed um, in their original form as weight loss drugs. And then then they came out with a specific kind of uh, reformulation specifically for weight loss. Um, right. So um, these are, uh, as a class, these are called semaglutide? Well, as a class, they're called the GLP-1 um, receptor agonists and then the GLP-1 and 2 with the Wagovi. But semaglutide is the name of 
what Ozempic is now gotcha. and and Wagovi. So Ozempic and Wagovi, the the actual drug compound is semaglutide. Um, but then like Manjaro is another one um, that is um, terzepatide. So there's other there's other names. Yeah, and there's other ones kind of in the pipeline as, as yeah. well as and, yeah. and for good reason. I mean, Novo Nordisk is the company behind Wagovi and Ozempic. And it's based, I think, in the Netherlands. Yeah. And it is like it is now the, you know, the most valuable, one of the most valuable companies in all of Europe. Um, yeah. I mean, it, they became nuts. like a much um, more financially stable country because of it. Because of that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It accounts for it's just a ridiculous amount of the GDP of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, the Netherlands or Norway or wherever they are. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, for good reason, because it, it is an epidemic within uh, de- the developed countries, um, you know, metabolic disorders in general, um, obesity and diabetes in, in particular. So yeah. when you and, and, and there have been these kind of flash in the pan medications that that, um, you know, were purported to treat weight loss you know it's uh, the fen fen stuff um that was that was ultimately proven to be dangerous but other other weight loss drugs but this now for the first time uh, has has proven themselves to be effective yeah i I remember talking to patients you know because they would ask about weight loss medications you know historically and none of them were very good none of them were like super safe and none of them were that effective um and i remember even saying like when the weight loss medication that is safe and effective comes out it's going to obviously blow up be huge be huge and this is just kind of funny because it happened incidentally Right. As a, right. As a, again, it was a side effect of these diabetes medications. Now I'm I'm curious about your experience with your patients and and prescribing them because there's a, there's a couple of of things going on. One is their insurance supply. Two is that not all insurance plans cover them. Three is they're expensive. So, um, and then four is people who, who, you know, just want to drop that last 10, 20 pounds want, 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 them. want, want yeah. a prescription. So what's, yeah. what's been your um, experience around, you know, one or more of those factors? I mean, all of them are occurring. <laughs> um, it's hard too, cause you can't look away from it. Um, it's everywhere. So um, the biggest, the biggest thing is coverage. So that's the first thing I tell people is call your insurance company and ask if they cover semaglutide or terzepatide for weight loss? And the answer is almost universally no. No. So um, mo- you just almost, you can assume that it, that I it do doesn't assume. cover. I do yeah. assume. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, give, but might as well check because if you have one of those plans and they just happen to, you know, then cool. But the answer is almost universally no for weight loss. Now, if you have diabetes, then it's very easy because it's automatically covered they all cover. almost, almost yeah. universally if you have diabetes, 
Now there's a gray area where some people with, you know, insulin resistance or hyperglycemia, that's not quite diabetes. Plus they're, they have obesity, not just overweight, but obesity plus maybe high blood pressure. Sometimes these things skate through and get approved. Now that's happening less and less than it used to. Um, But, you know, we try it nonetheless, but I don't think I've got, I have anybody on it for weight loss. That's not paying for it out of pocket. So, and, and are most people paying like over a thousand bucks a month? Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. Once in a while, someone will say that they are like eight something because that's what their insurance, you know, it ends up coming to, but they're all using good RX for the most part, or there used to be manufacturer coupons, but even those are no longer active or being used. Um, so they're paying for it out of pocket. Um, which is a ton of money. Um, and it's a medication that you have to be on for a while. But then the other problem with it is it is constantly um, out of stock. So uh-huh. you have to shop around, have to find the pharmacy that has it. We go up on doses, but certain doses aren't, you know, aren't there. So like Ozempic um, was the first one. And it's what we've been using for diabetes for a long time. And Wagovi again is made by the same company it's just a different dose but when the shortage of ozempic happened they um switched manufacturing to um predominantly the ozempic because diabetics need it you know so then that made a bigger shortage on the wagovi and but yeah so you kind of deal with all of it i tell people you know this is how much you know it's going to be and and this is after we go over side effects and are you the right candidate for it what's you know how does it work what's what is there to expect and do you want to take it and there's there's some people who are like i don't want to mess with any of that um but a lot of people are like i'd like to try it um and i say that's totally fine you know if it's reasonable for the patient um and it's usually the person who's you know tried all kinds of stuff you know like i really i exercise i really do eat well and um it ends up being something that a lot of people want to want to give it a go and you'd be surprised how many people, when I say it's going to be about this much, this is what you can expect, kind of say, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do it. Well, yeah. and that, 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 that's the other piece is, you know, the studies in, have indicated, you know, it's fine. You, you go on it for a, six months, a year, whatever, lose that, lose 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds. If, once you go off it, you regain that weight fairly well, that's why, yeah. quickly. So I explain to people that no matter what, you'll have some degree of weight regain but a small degree of weight regain is fine if you're losing a substantial amount um but it's you can't expect to go off of it and then go back to prior habits or behaviors because you're just going to gain it all back so you have to be on it long enough to like have these different habits and changes in your eating styles kind of ingrained in your day-to-day in order to keep it off and then there are some people those people who have chronic obesity, um, you know, who have never seen an adult weight in a normal range, who struggled with it their whole life, those people probably are going to need to be on it forever. And eventually, you know, in time and a, a, a long time, these medications will be cheap and available. Right, know, right, right. That'll be good. How, have, have your patients experienced um, much in the way of side effects? Um, uh, yeah, the nausea. Um, nothing, not the not the gastroparesis, the full blown, like, you know, when your stomach stops functioning and you have 
significant symptoms. And that's just when like, you know, food stays put. So the medication itself will delay emptying of your stomach and that's how it keeps you fuller. That's one part of, you know, the way that it works. Um, and, but so what that will translate to if you overeat with it is nausea. So people will have nausea, um, but you kind of can find the right dose. You don't have to keep going up on the dose. You can find a dose that's the best tolerated, but for the most part, people have been fine. The, the other interesting thing uh, that, that I've been reading recently is they're finding that there are beneficial effects beyond weight loss to these, to these drugs, right? Like yeah. Reduced risks of heart attack and strokes and, um, being effective treatments for addictions of kind of all types from cigarettes to alcohol to opioids. Yeah, that's the or, thing. So however, however it functions more in like, a in the brain, it decreases drive. Patients will tell me it decreases the drive to eat. It decreases mm-hmm. the like food noise and drive to eat. And then they found it does that to a similar degree with alcohol. So it decreases drive to drink and then other, you know, behaviors like that, which is really interesting and really cool. Cause you think it can't just function by delaying your stomach, um, gastric emptying and just, cause you to feel full all the time because all kinds of people eat when they're full so right they right it, but it just it silences that constant th- like thought about like eating and what you're going to eat next and and that sort yeah. of thing yeah it's it, it is it, it, it i mean it's it's kind of an antidote for the mismatch between our evolution and our environment mm-hmm. yeah. the modern environment yeah. which is remarkable so yeah. cool. Well, we don't want to make this all about. <laughs> so we're gonna. I'm gonna move on quickly to a topic we've discussed in the past, obviously, because it's been in the news a lot. But uh, the, uh, the the officially the the COVID public health emergency ended earlier this year. Um, that's great, but COVID didn't end. It's it's become. Um, I think the technical term is endemic um, yeah. as a disease. And uh, it's having a bit of a of a rebound as it usually does as we enter winter. I know I had it in the fall, um, and yeah. I know there's a lot of it out in Omaha where you are. Uh, you seeing it in in patients uh, quite a bit again? Well, it's hard because not people aren't really testing anymore that much. Um, right, I mean, and if they do, are. they're testing at home. Yeah, and you can it can take four tests. You know, you can get three negatives and then a positive. And a positive is a positive. So we're just not testing as much, but um, it's a bad, it's a bad respiratory virus season right now with COVID being a big player. Um, The thing about COVID being endemic, there's plenty of viruses that are endemic, similarly like the flu. But Mm -hmm. the thing with COVID is we are, you only see the flu in like wintertime, right? You have a flu season. COVID keeps coming back like all year round with new variants, you know, people getting like we had a summer surge. Right, um, right. And but this one seems to be a little bit yuckier for patients, not necessarily more severe in the sense of respiratory problems and hospitalizations, but just a kind of a nastier cold than the prior couple of variants. Um, I was I was sicker with whatever I had in the in, in October than I was the first time I had it for mm-hmm, sure. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's for sure. it's not fun at all. And it mimics a lot of the other viruses that are going around. So I, you know, it's hard to really put a number on how many people are getting in, infected 
um, and symptomatic from it. But it's the the biggest thing that I think about with getting COVID is not necessarily the the cold symptoms um, and being down for you know a week potentially, but it's the potential for long COVID type symptoms. Yeah, which you don't, which isn't a risk with flu and colds and whatever. Um, it's really not. I mean, we've we've known post viral phenomenon with other things in the past, but not like this. It would be a rare thing that it would happen to somebody. Um, but this is um, this is something completely different and nothing that I want. So that's my biggest drive of trying to avoid COVID is not wanting any of these long-term because the, the virus just kind of uh, acts on so many different tissues in the body. And at first, for whatever reason, in certain people, it will kind of continue to cause and wreak havoc in those areas and cause inflammation and result in, you know, anything from heart issues to extreme fatigue, the chronic fatigue syndrome, um, just cognitive things. Yeah. Fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that is a, uh, that, that I agree is a concern. And I, I read something recently that there's been kind of a, a spike in the number of people who are disabled, you know, in the U S just right. in, in general, yeah. uh, post COVID. Um, yeah. so, so during COVID actually there was a bit of a dip post COVID there's been a spike and, and, one explanation is this long COVID kind of uh, phenomenon. Absolutely. You know, yep. Um, just, uh, uh, you know, I, I, like you said, that that's, that's really, you know, if you're, if you're healthy, if you're not, if you're not elderly or have some other, um, some other health, uh, you know, significant underlying, you're not at mm-hmm. that much risk from, from the disease aside from the, the long COVID piece of it. But okay. Um, yeah, we'll stay, stay tuned. And, and, and the other thing is, yeah, there are a lot of other viruses roaming around, um, <laughs> these days. Oh, virus v. Crazy. It is crazy right now. And yeah. the biggest thing seems to be the difference, um, in whether you're around little people or not. Around little people. <laughs> right. Cause I've been relatively healthy since my COVID. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have not been around little people. So yeah, are... kids have been coughing since the baby, the day the baby was born. Um, and every time we think we're past it, you know, I, Sophia, Someone tells, else me, goes Sophia down. tells me she's <laughs> chilled and I check her temperature and there's 102 fever from the next, the, the next thing. Uh, so fun, yeah, fun, fun. Stay away from the little ones. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, moving on. Uh, another another story in 2023 that kind of caught my attention was w- w- these things called Xeno transplants. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's obviously a big need for organ transplants. Um, you know, people die every year because they can't get a kidney or liver or lung or heart or transplant in time. Um, and, um, there's been, you know, research ongoing around transplanting organs from non-human animals. Um, yep. but in the, and, and, and you, you'll get these stories, you know, oh, they transplanted a pig's heart or whatever, but then person dies and there just doesn't seem to be any uh, progress but this year um there they 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 have actually made progress in this um and and you know a lot of these transplants are being made on people who are terminally ill who, right you know so they have no other other choice right um but um but researchers are are 
you know, increasingly um, completing successful ex experiments with xenotransplants. Um, and, 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 and they're using people who have suffered brain death as their, you know, um, as their subjects, which, which kind of makes sense, or they're using monkeys and what yeah. have you. So it's um, hard to, if you're, if you're mainly doing this on um, people who are terminally ill, the likelihood of them surviving any kind of transplant is low. Um, but you're also not going to do this in people who otherwise have other options because right. this is a new, so yeah, that is people who suffered, unfortunately, brain death are, um, are reasonable um, study patients because ideally they're, they're not terminally ill and the rest of their body is not, um, is not, unwell enough to not take the transplant that's what the biggest thing is just transplant rejection um if you do a transplant with any whether it's human transplant or in this, these cases um you have to be put on so many um, anti-rejection medications which decrease your immune system by themselves um, right. so it's a very hard thing to think about um studying and getting to a place where it's successful because you need a healthy patient, but you don't want to do it on a healthy patient if they have any other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you can envision a day when it will become more routine because they figured out that, right. that rejection, just like they have in human to human. I mean, for, for a long while, you know, human to human transplants still had, had, had a lot of issues. And now, you yeah. know, they're, they're generally um, accepted. So yeah. uh, much more to come on that. Um, so we had a lot of news about vaccines this year. Obviously, the, we still have the COVID vaccine that's, um, that is available, is somewhat controversial as to whether it's actually <laughs> helpful or not. But I think most, um, most research indicates that net on net, it is generally safe and effective. Um, and people who are more at risk should probably have the vaccine. You're talking about for COVID. RSV, for, for COVID. COVID. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Uh, so, but the new news this year is, yes. is the, R the RSV right. vaccine ar arrived. Um, and, um, and, um, you know, RSV can be, you know, more problematic than COVID um, outside of the, the long COVID. Particularly for, for babies, babies, I don't worry so as much about COVID. I mean, yes. Can it, can it hurt, you know, anybody? Absolutely. It can. Um, but the most dangerous thing for babies is flu and RSV. RSV puts, I think more, more babies in the hospital than, than anything else. Um, and then also adults over 65 seem to be also kind of struggle with it. But this is the classic, um, you know, similarly to the flu, the young and the old get hit. COVID, gotcha. COVID was kind of funny in that the kids have historically done really well, thankfully. Um, but RSV is definitely, it. it's just a RSV season for babies is horrible. So having a baby born during flu and RSV season is kind of scary. Um, uh, but yeah, they yeah. did come out with um, a vaccine for the first time. Um, and there's actually, I believe, three different ones. So there's a vaccine for babies up to, I want to say six months, um, that you can give 
you know, to babies. And then there's a vaccine for over 65 and there's a vaccine for pregnant women who are at the end of their pregnancy who are going to have a baby born during RSV season. Interesting. So did you have that last? I got it like the week after it came out. I fit those criteria and it came out and I was able to get it. uh, Excellent. Excellent. Which was. And that trend. So that, that transfers some immunity to the baby then. That's why, that's why you give it to pregnant. Um, So when you're in, when you're pregnant in your third trimester, you get historically two vaccines. You get the flu shot. Um, if you're in flu season, because that will transfer some protection to the baby, um, as well as prevent you from getting it. You get the Tdap, which is the tetanus um, and diphtheria pertussis booster, because it passes on antibodies against whooping cough, which is another one that can hurt the newborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's RSV. So you have to be, I think, between like 30, maybe 30 two and 36 weeks pregnant and be delivering essentially in the like flu season, wintertime kind of months. Um, and it, it came out right before I met that, those criteria and it's been fantastic. And interestingly enough, um, we've had our baby here for, you know, about three weeks and she's been around a lot of, children, including her little cousin who's nine months who um who had rsv Mm -hmm. um and so far so good which i attribute to hopefully partially the vaccines and then also um breastfeeding but this is a huge thing for for pediatricians i'm sure because rsv is just i mean the, I wish I had a statistic on it, um, but the number of babies who get admitted to the hospital for this, um, and there's just no good treatment. But it's funny. I was talking to our pediatrician, and she said we got five doses, and she's oh. with a, and she's with a big. She's not a small independent office. She's with a so big. So there's a supply system. issue right, right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yeah. So it, so she's like, it's hard just because the media says, oh, get get this vaccine, get that vaccine, mm. and moms and dads are excited because they can protect their babies, you know. And then you go, and it's like, well, who do you give those five vaccines to? Exactly. Um, exactly. So wow. it, it's a supply issue right now, but it will be a really important one um, to to get as time goes on and I'm, and hopefully it's not a, a uh, controversial one like the COVID vaccine became, but. Gotcha. I agree. Well, I, I was going to ask you, what, what would you say to the anti-vaxxers? <laughs> and, uh, but I, but I know what you'd say. So. <laughs> I mean, the unfortunate thing is it's now tra- people who are anti-COVID have become anti-all vaccines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So- Even pets now. We're concerned about rabies um, increasing because people aren't getting their pets vaccinated either. Oh, my God. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Yep. Okay. We're going to move on because uh, we, we, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to wade into political issues. No. But that, that's no. just crazy. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do these last four really quick because, as usual, we take too much time on the, on the first four. Yeah. But, um, so what, what was really cool, what might be the coolest um, kind of uh, thing I heard about uh, this past year is the first CRISPR-based treatment was approved. So CRISPR yeah. is a way to edit ge- the genetic code. Um, and they they found a way to 
you know, essentially for some diseases which have specific genes which have mutated and are the cause of that disease, like sickle cell anemia, for example. Um, they've, they're, they've, they've been able to um, kind of change the genetic code, figure out a way to get it in someone's body who has that disease, and it cures that disease. One single treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. That was unbelievably expensive yeah. <laughs> per treatment, as you can imagine. But um, it it really um, opens up a whole new just. Um, oh, absolutely. Think about things area. like cystic fibrosis and so many, so many mm -hmm. things that are genetically based um, that this is going to be able to fix. Um, it's really, really neat. And not, again, to go back to the polit politics of stuff, um, but it's interesting because most people, let's say they had one of these genetic diseases and there was a way to go in and actually change your your own DNA to get rid of this thing that is not functioning correctly, um, but won't get the vaccine because it quote unquote changes your DNA, even though we know that it actually doesn't. Does not. Um, right. So it's like that. There's that just total. Um, Cognitive I guess, dissonance. I exactly. Think yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyways, it's really neat. Um, this is going to, this is going to become um, just standard of care at some point for all genetic based diseases diseases and they'll start with the ones that are you know kind of simpler so to speak you know one single easier gene to fix that, yep. that causes it yep. and then and then go on there for the multi-gene but you can just imagine and, and it's going to take time this is not something that you know but over maybe a 10-year period 20-year period yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be amazing yeah um Okay, next one. Um, AI um, is going to have an effect. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to have an effect on, on everything. Those these chat-based AI systems um, kind of really um, caught the world by storm at the end of last year. I mean, it's hard to believe that Chat GPT was just released to the public beginning of December twenty twenty two. You know, and, and already it's 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 almost like you know, just you know, taken for granted almost. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, in medicine, it's, you know, there's, there's been um, a lot of progress in terms of using AI to do everything from diagnose medical conditions, you know, read x-rays, read yep. um, CAT scans, all this sort of thing, um, as well as AI chatbots for therapy. So um, you haven't dipped your toe into the AI kind of, I know it's, you can use them for like, some, some doctors can use them to take notes and, and transcribe yeah so you don't have to do that yeah that sort of thing so uh, because of the way that my i run you know my practice with direct primary care i don't need to worry too much about notes because it's just a, you don't have to do as many and they don't have to include as much um uh fluff as the other notes that go through billing have to do um but yeah a lot of people use it for scribing um i will use it sometimes for patient education like write a bulleted list of um of proven recommendations for blank, you know, like, so it can compile stuff that I, I know in my head, but it puts it into a nice, you know, pay, like, and if you can even say for a patient, so it's very specific um, information about whatever um, that I can then share with the patient so that they can have something to follow, you know, yeah, so stuff like yeah. that just saves time. Because like, I can sit yeah. there and type out 
what a healthy diet for someone with prediabetes, um, you know, consists of, but I could also put that into chat GPT and it will populate something that sounds better than what I could type up and well and, in and, a much shorter time and, and in literally seconds <laughs> so. yeah yeah absolutely and it's just going to go on on from there yep. i mean at some point you're you're going to have an assistant listening in to mm-hmm. to your patient interactions and they're you know they're going to do the summary and they may actually then um suggest a test that you didn't right. think about or you, you, just because the, particularly for primary care docs, I, mean, we, I think we talked about this in, in the past. Yeah. There's just so much information that you've got to, you know, right. assimilate. Yeah. And, and there's so much new information coming out every day and, you know, all the journals and research studies and yeah. all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, how it, you, you need artificial intelligence Honestly, to, uh, seriously. To, to, yeah. to help that process. So that's going to be cool. Yeah. Okay. We've got two, two last things really, really quick. Um, you know, the thing that may save the most lives, at least over the next five years that, that, but not in the U S necessarily mm-hmm. is this malaria vaccine. Uh, malaria kills mainly kids, young children, nearly half a million a year. That I is mean, insane. It's crazy. Uh, it's all, you know, m- mosquito that is transmitted. crazy. I did not realize it was that high of a number. Yep. And finally, they have a vaccine for it. Um, wow. Now, you got to get it to where you need it. So these, you know, yeah. these are poorer countries and, and what have you. Um, because prior to this, the only effective treatment for malaria yeah. were mos- mosquito nets. Yeah, that's insane. Literally. And, and they would say, hey, if you donate... 20 bucks to, you know, this, this, these outfits that, that distribute mosquito nets, you're probably saving 20 kids. The the ROI ROI on it was, was tremendous, but but to imagine a, uh, a, 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 a vaccine vaccine, it's just amazing. So the last thing I don't want to end on a, on a, on a a (laughs) bad note or a down note, but it is a true note that, um, you know, as much as obesity is a is a, a, um, epidemic. a, a mm-hmm. epidemic in in our in our country and, and developed world, so is um, mental illness. Yeah, and it, it just seems as society has become more complex, um, as people be, have become more isolated. Um, social media doesn't help. Technology is is oftentimes an, an enabler of of mental illness. Yeah. That the um, more and more people are are finding it, um, you know that, that that they are victims. So um, I'll give you a couple of stats from this uh, State of Mental Health in America report for, for 2023. 21% of U.S. adults are experiencing a mental illness, which is um, basically over 50 million uh, U.S citizens i mean that's yeah that's nuts yeah and um, i would say that sounds lower than what i even see in the office that, right oh, and there are degrees of, of that right. yeah so that's that's diagnosed maybe right. Right. Uh, mental illness most of those people receive no treatment you know yep. so so um while many people are receiving treatment a lot of it is therapeutic and you know may, maybe talk therapy or maybe yep. drugs or whatever but most people aren't um, it's not just adults. Sixteen percent of youth report suffering from at least one major depressive episode in the past year, yeah. and the rates of suicidal ideation, you know, suicidal thoughts, uh, particularly amongst teenagers, is frightening and yeah. um, frighteningly high. Yeah. yeah. 
and and there just aren't enough um, there just aren't enough people who um, who treat um, yeah the this this sort of illness. I think um, I, I read there's just not somewhere. enough resources because it it's it's not just like psychiatrists. You need the therapist, psychiatrists, and then you also need you know support at home and support in schools. And it's it seems like something that seems impossible to get ahead of. Right, right. And then you have, you know, um, exacerbating factors like poverty. Yeah, um, yeah. Or you live in a rural area where there's even fewer, you know, yeah. I, I, th- I think the stats are in the U.S. there are 350 individuals for every one mental health provider. Yeah, that's insane. So so use those math, use, use that math against the 21 percent mm-hmm. who, who need you know, who have a mental illness. And yeah, and you can see how the uh, the numbers are uh, are kind of going against you. So. Um, you know, I think um, the only the only advice we can give there is is um, certainly if you're if if you are experiencing um, depressive symptoms, anxiety, et cetera, seek help. Is as tough as it is to find it. Yeah, start your with your start with your primary care, care doctor for sure. We exactly we can treat a lot of it. Um, so definitely start there. We have better access, hopefully. Yeah. And- and then it, to the to the extent that you need to refer patients, you can you you can do so right. accordingly. So right. awesome. Okay, well, we got through the twenty twenty three recap. <laughs> We're looking forward to twenty twenty four. We've got a new um, we've got a new plan in place for twenty twenty four. And one of the things that means is more frequent podcasts. Right? <laughs> we say that also every year. No, 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 no. This time we're going to, this is a resolution we're going to hit. So (laughs) awesome. Well, I know you're going to, you're going to have a big party night tonight. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you get at it. Good luck with your hangover tomorrow. Thanks very much. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Take care. Love you. Happy new year. Happy new year. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. You can visit the doctorandad.com, that's spelled T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.